Hello, it's Brad Kearns, co-author of Two Meals a Day with my main man, Mark Sisson. Thank you so much for listening to this audio summary of everything in this book. Oh my gosh, by the time you finish this recording, you are going to be desperately excited to go grab yourself a copy anywhere books are sold or get the audio book. I had a great time recording that. There's lots of fun and value added through the recording, and it's all about living healthy in a simple, sustainable strategy that works for everyone, regardless of your dietary particulars and preferences. So we're trying to find some common ground, focus on the idea that when you eat is just as important as what you eat and make something that's doable and sustainable instead of stressful and nitpicky. Okay, so let's go with the introduction. And that's where we set the stage, uh, realizing that today uh, carbohydrate dependency is quite likely the number one public health epidemic in the developed world. Our human default genetic setting is to be fat-burning beasts. This is how we evolved for two and a half million years as hunter-gatherers. Stored body fat was our primary energy source because our ancestors never knew where their next meal would be, and so we wouldn't have survived without being excellent fat burners and, of course, fat storers as well. Uh, unfortunately, today, with this overeating and uh, continued uh, assault on the delicate hormonal system that happens when we consume too many carbohydrates, produce too much insulin, and especially consume these nasty refined industrial seed oils, we get into big trouble. So the main argument that the book presents is that we eat too much of the wrong foods too often. And it's making us fat, tired, sick, and slowly but surely killing us. So if you want to achieve optimum health, body composition, and longevity... Basically, you got to do two things. Number one, ditch processed modern foods in favor of wholesome, nutrient-dense foods. And number two, eat less frequently. And this will help you develop one of the most important health attributes you can imagine, metabolic flexibility. This is the genetically programmed superpower that we all possess, the ability to burn a variety of fuel sources, especially stored body fat, based on your body's needs at any particular time. Metabolic flexibility allows you to feel great all day long with stable mood, energy, cognitive function, and appetite, whether or not you eat regular meals. Unfortunately, we, we have snuffed out this superpower uh, due to a chronically high insulin producing diet and the disease state of hyperinsulinemia. That's chronically excessive insulin production caused by consuming the seed oils and the excessive amount of processed carbohydrates. And these are some of the big checkpoints that we're going to hit in the coming chapters about how to uh, reclaim your health, reclaim your ability to be metabolically flexible. Number one is you can eat nutrient-dense foods of your personal preference within the ancestral guidelines, of course, but we got to focus on personal preference for sustainability and enjoyment of life. So no more dogmatic hitting you over the head with these are the foods you must eat and <laughs> these are the macros you must attain at each meal. These are the times you must eat. We want to have a more flowing and intuitive 
enjoyable approach. Uh, but the big things to uh, focus on to make a turnaround here are to ditch what we call the big three toxic modern foods. That's uh, refined sugars, grains, and industrial seed oils. And also ditch the surprisingly destructive habit of snacking or this strategy of eating frequent small meals rather than uh, a couple big meals or a couple reasonable meals. Uh, what happens when you snack, even when you have a, a low-carb snack, is you still uh, produce insulin no matter what you consume. And as soon as you snack on something, you interfere, you shut off the burning of stored body fat. So imagine if you're snacking uh, throughout the course of a day, extending past that 12-hour uh, window that's the maximum that you should ever eat in no matter what. In other words, you should consume your calories, strive to consume your calories in uh, an optimally tight window. A lot of people favor the 16 and 8 strategy where you're fasted for 16 hours and you eat inside of an 8-hour time window. But uh, some of the research shows that uh, the average eating window uh, of the uh, modern human is almost in aligned with uh, waking hours. So people are eating in a 12, 14, 16 hour time window, right? Getting up in the morning, stuffing something in your face at 7 a.m. and then uh, finishing off the popcorn bowl at 10.30 p.m. So we want to uh, get away from the snacking, the constant consumption of food, and uh, turbocharge that uh, genetic mechanisms that uh, help you burn stored body fat as the number one go-to meal source. Uh, another uh, item here is to honor your hunger and satiety signals at all times. So we wanted this this journey to be enjoyable and sustainable. So going hungry, suffering, uh, dealing with things like the low-carb flu, which is a big uh, topic of uh, discussion uh, in the internet and people who are going into the low-carb scene saying, uh, hey, don't worry, fight through it for a while. You'll feel better in three weeks. Uh, we don't buy that at all. If you're suffering from the low-carb flu or feeling uh, off in any way, tired, cranky, hungry, while you're doing a dietary transition, there is some something wrong with your approach. This is not about pain, struggle, sacrifice, and suffering. Uh, another thing that we uh, pay great attention to is forming an empowering mindset. Because we've seen, especially over the years, dealing with individuals and hearing the stories of people who seemingly are uh, plenty motivated, are doing things right, but uh, suffering from self-limiting beliefs and behavior patterns that repeatedly sabotage their success with diet, exercise, and lifestyle goals. Uh, these can include uh, feeling undeserving deep down. You're not deserving of the success that you're actually striving for or saying that you are uh, or having the physique that you wish for. So we got to uncover some of these uh, flawed patterns, uh, mindsets, uh, negative statements, and instead uh, operate from a position of forgiveness and gratitude. And we have some really powerful techniques detailed in the book. You might have heard of Jack Canfield, uh, Chicken Soup author, and he has these things called turnaround statements where you identify an area where you're... Uh, uh, with a flawed mindset or flawed behavior pattern and create a turnaround statement, say it repeatedly uh, several times a day for uh, weeks at a time, and then you start to manifest a different reality where you believe in yourself, you develop that really deep down confidence that you're deserving, and then you take action and you live in a manner 
in alignment with your stated goals. It works for all manner of things like trying to improve your sleeping habits and going to bed on time rather than drifting off into Netflix binge watching because your resolve, your motivation is not in the right place. Your mindset's not in the right place. Okay, you're going to love that chapter about mindset. Um, uh, right away in the introduction, uh, we hit you with a, uh, a series of bullet points where we challenge FDCS, you know what that stands for? Flawed and dated conventional stupidity. And we replace these notions with ENTs, empowering new truths. Here's a few to get you excited. Uh, number one, we talk about how your body works most optimally in a fasted state. So fasting blows away any superfood, nutritional concoction, acai bowl, uh, freshly squeezed juice with five different super antioxidant bombs in there. Fasting is the go-to strategy to improve your cellular repair, your inflammation control, and your immune function. Okay. Uh, relatedly, breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. It's totally optional. And break fast should come at whatever time when you first experience true sensations of hunger. Uh, another empowering new truth is that eating intuitively and haphazardly is healthier than sitting down for three square meals a day. On and on we go with several more. And then in chapter one, we start to uh, get real. Stuff starts to get real in chapter one. The title is Clean Up Your Act. Uh, so, uh, first and foremost, we want to go through your home environment and purge any of the big three toxic modern foods uh, that are present and give yourself a fighting chance, a clean slate to start with dietary and lifestyle transformation. But if you are in a carbohydrate dependency state, uh, a lot of things are going to be difficult, if not impossible, to change. We have to get off that carbohydrate dependency train that's caused by uh, an emphasis on these big three toxic modern foods in the diet. So if there are still industrial seed oils present in your diet disfun causing dysfunctional fat burning, you are not going to be uh, that dreamy uh, person who succeeds with fasting and going all afternoon without eating. Gee, look at the time, and I uh, didn't even realize it's time for dinner, and I skipped lunch. All those kind of stories are wonderfully true and empowering, but only when your body escapes from this metabolic state of carbohydrate dependency and uh, chronically excessive insulin production called hyperinsulinemia. Uh, this, of course, leads to metabolic syndrome, the cluster of uh, disease conditions that are driven by poor diet, exercise, and lifestyle habits, uh, quite likely the number one uh, public health epidemic uh, across the developed world. Uh, and these markers of metabolic syndrome, like uh, high, high blood glucose, high triglycerides, uh, they can be righted in three weeks of restrictive eating. So if you're coming from a place where you really want to uh, uh, bust out and feel better and uh, improve your blood values that your doctor was concerned about, uh, you can take a, uh, an exclusion period of minimum 21 days with zero tolerance for grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils, and instead reach for these wonderful, nutritious foods that are honored, honoring the ancestral example. So instead of having a, a bowl of cereal and, and toast and orange juice in the morning, you can have a wonderful omelet and nourishing, delicious, colorful foods that satisfy you for hours, but don't cause that blood sugar spike and don't uh, involve the ingestion of these toxic agents, these uh, 
these seed oils that throw off uh, fat burning and interfere with uh, cellular function strongly at, at an immediate uh, adverse effect on your cardiovascular and uh, immune function. Okay, so that's the, uh, the essence of chapter one, cleaning up your act, going on the, uh, the nutritious food binge, going shopping, finding some good stuff, and ditching all those uh, things that are still lingering in your pantry or your refrigerator. And especially, we got to focus on dining out. Dr. Kate Shanahan cites research that 40% of all the calories that you consume from restaurant meals come in the form of industrial seed oils. Uh, obviously, they have high caloric density, so if your wonderful salmon or whatever you ordered uh, is cooked in these seed oils, you're going to get a good contribution of calories from them. And, of course, we can't examine exactly what's going into our food. I love the sweet potato fries that the bistro down the street serves. I'm guessing they're probably made uh, with uh, some offensive of ingredients. And so it has to really be uh, a thoughtful, sensible indulgence that's going to happen occasionally, if never would be ideal. But we got to get these seed oils out of the diet to turn the metabolism and the hormonal functions around so you can become a good fat burner. So we're going through in the chapter uh, the details of which foods to uh, ditch in the variety of uh, different food categories, talking about the bottled industrial oils, uh, the candies, ice cream, sweetened beverages, cereal, corn, pasta, chips, baking ingredients, uh, all the things you need to kind of really zero in and identify the problem problem foods and get them out of your diet. There's some discussion about gluten and the other lectins that cause uh, metabolic dysfunction, uh, immune uh, disturbances, uh, autoimmune uh, responses, inflammatory responses, and how important it is to give your body a break break from all that stuff and allow yourself to heal. You probably heard about the emerging science of uh, gut microbiome health and how closely related it is to overall health. Most of your immune function happens in the gut, your immune response, uh, even the uh, neurotransmitters like serotonin are mostly made in the gut, so it can affect your mental health. And if you have this leaky gut syndrome, which is so common, driven by the consumption of uh, plant antigens like gluten, um, it makes a lot of foods problematic to digest, and it's really difficult to heal unless you exclude those and give your body a chance to heal and then start transitioning over to <gasps> chapter two. Emphasize nutrient-dense ancestral foods and superfoods. So once you've cleaned out your system, uh, you're in this groove of ditching the big three and starting to choose more nutrient-dense meals, then you can really focus in on making the best choices in the ancestral categories. And this is where we try to rise above the controversy and the uh, the confusion uh, where people are criticizing the consumption of meat and meat, red meat causes cancer and uh, boy, aren't we treating those animals poorly. So we want to be really clear that uh, we're strongly against the uh, concentrated animal feeding operations uh, producing these inferior quality uh, meats and poultry and pork and eggs and instead encourage you to make the very best choices you possibly can in uh, these animal categories because they can uh, really result in uh, much higher nutrient uh, benefit and less uh, ingestion of the offensive agents. For example, in the CAFO animal, you're going to find hormones, pesticides, and antibiotics, where in a pasture-raised chicken or a grass-fed steak, uh, you're not going to have those offensive agents because they uh, adhere to 
their uh, commitment to you know producing an animal in a sustainable, healthy manner, also good for the environment. Uh, people who are uh, promoting this movement really well, like Dr. Paul Saladino on the Fundamental Health Podcast, talks about how the carbon sequestering of a proper farm of grass-fed animals uh, gives you a, a, a net benefit to the uh, the planet and the green movement, rather than this notion that uh, the the animals are causing so much trouble, and if we don't eat them, the world's going to be a better place. So uh, get a little bit of education here, know how to make the best choices, and especially go looking for the superfoods and integrate those as a centerpiece of your diet. I have this wonderful chart that I made with Kate Kretzinger. It's called the Carnivore Scores, and we rank the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet in tiers. And so you're looking at the very top with things like uh, oysters and other oily cold water fish and the animal organs, especially liver, being the most nutrient-dense foods on Earth, the salmon eggs, things like that. And then uh, just going down the list, the shellfish, pasture-raised eggs and eggs from other animals besides chickens, all this great stuff uh, presented in detail on a single-page chart. You can print it out, put it on your fridge, and try to emphasize those foods. Things like bone broth that we tend to ignore in the modern diet, uh, but is so critical and so important to our overall health, especially gut health and especially joint health. So this is a nice chapter to help you optimize uh, making the best choices in fish. Obviously, we know some of the farm fish are pretty uh, objectionable, and you really want to choose better, emphasizing what we call the smash fish, sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, wild-caught salmon, and herring. Uh, so many, learning to make those choices, uh, definitely going for the pasture-raised eggs rather than uh, the conventional eggs or even the uh, certified organic eggs where the chickens are uh, mostly nourished on feed rather than their natural diet out uh, grazing uh, on the farmlands, eating uh, grass and bugs and worms and things like that and giving them this am amazing omega-3 boost. Uh, so going down in all the categories, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, and their derivative butters, talking about dairy products and the place that dairy can have in your diet if you make good, sensible choices, especially in trying to avoid all conventional low-fat and non-fat dairy products. We talk about the incredible benefits of dark chocolate. You know I'm a huge fan if you listen to the show and all the great agents that are in there. Uh, theobromine has cardiovascular benefits, acts as a memory booster, reduces inflammation. Uh, dark chocolate has, uh, cacao has one of the highest ORAC scores on the planet. That's the oxygen radical absorbance capacity. So the antioxidant value is right up there with uh, your berries and the other super duper foods. We have a whole category about hydration and making the best choice in the beverages category. And that one's pretty easy because most of the stuff that we find uh, in the store has a lot of sweeteners and offensive agents in there, uh, the, the coffee shop concoctions and so forth. So if you want to be uh, a real champ in your beverage category, water is the drink of champions. And then the other things like your unsweetened herbal or caffeinated teas, uh, coffee with a little bit of additive, but you know, not dumping the uh, the sugar in there until uh, there's a pile on the bottom. I'm a big fan of my homemade kombucha, and I cut my kombucha with like two thirds or three quarters uh, bubbly water, and then a little bit of this flavorful kombucha. It lasts for a long time, tastes great. It feels like I'm getting an indulgence, but I'm drinking a healthy product that has those good probiotics. And then we zero in on these superfood categories and trying your best to improve your nose-to-tail consumption of animal foods, especially liver, arguably the most nutrient-dense food on the planet, right up there with oysters and salmon eggs. 
Uh, so you'll enjoy that chapter. And then uh, in chapter three, so uh, we had the introduction I talked about. Chapter one is cleaning up your act. Chapter two is emphasizing nutrient-dense ancestral foods and superfoods. And chapter three is intermittent eating, the fastest way to health. Ha ha. Fasting is king. It has profound anti-inflammatory and immune-boosting benefits. It spurs the production of internal antioxidants like the master antioxidant glutathione, and your spike is uh, vastly superior to anything you can consume through your mouth. So if you make fasting the centerpiece of your dietary strategy, that's why Mark coined the term intermittent eating as a play on intermittent fasting, you are setting yourself up for uh, lifelong health, uh, good cellular repair, immune function. Now, uh, you got to do this right. And there's a whole section in here about what happens when you rush into this uh, being ill-prepared and not good at burning body fat and then trying to fast your way to uh, weight loss and improved health. And all that happens then is that your body perceives this lack of calories, especially if you're carbohydrate dependent, right, uh, as a major stressor. And if you insist on continuing on with uh, the, the struggling and suffering uh, endured in the name of fasting, uh, you will basically prompt a prolonged stress hormone response and eventually heading to a place called burnout. And that's basically what we see with the mainstream approach to dieting, where people starve themselves, uh, they succeed for six weeks or 12 weeks, you can watch them on TV, uh, winning big bonuses and dropping uh, large amounts of weight with an extreme and sudden approach. Uh, the stress hormones are being produced on a chronic basis, suppressing immune function and leading to that uh, rebound effect because again, uh, our genetic perceptions and our genetic, genetic uh, switches that turn on when we're starving ourselves, uh, it's a, perceived as a life or death matter. Uh, and then you can't burn body fat well. And so you start, for example, breaking down lean muscle tissue into glucose to fuel your energy needs, your carbohydrate dependency body needing energy from somewhere. And boy, that is just entirely unsustainable and you go into big trouble. So the idea here is to proceed uh, gently and gracefully where everything feels comfortable. You're able to last longer uh, without a meal where you still have good cognitive function, good physical function. You can start introducing workouts in a fasted state and we give you a really nice progression uh, how to do this properly and really understand what it's all about rather than uh, suffering through uh, an ill-advised approach. So a great way to start, simple, is this WHEN strategy, W-H-E-N, when hunger ensues naturally. And you wake up in the morning, uh, you see how you're doing, and if you're hungry right away and you really need a meal to get started, as I talked about earlier, you're trying to transition away from those uh, high-carbohydrate, high-insulin-producing meals. So you go ahead and enjoy a giant omelet first thing in the morning that will sustain you for many hours rather than trying to fast uh, when at the same time you still haven't completely escaped from carb dependency. So it's a really uh, gentle and sustainable approach for everybody, and then maybe uh, you'll find after a couple weeks 
you can last until uh, 9.30 or 10 a.m. before you really experience true sensations of hunger. And now you're banking more and more hours in a fasted state. You're getting that boost to metabolic immune and cognitive function. And you're going in a really nice rhythm where your fat burning is getting better uh, as the uh, weeks and months go on. And then you can really start to play with... Uh, all kinds of different uh, strategies and approaches if you have more goals to drop excess body fat, um, maybe heal from uh, some inflammatory or autoimmune conditions. But this is assuming that uh, your diet is clean, you're getting rid of those toxic three modern foods, and you are very comfortable every time you engage in fasting uh, rather than suffering through uh, brain fog and uh, jitters and uh, moodiness and all the things that happen uh, as an indication that your body is uh, engaged in a stress response because you don't have uh, calories available. Okay, so instead of a regimented approach, you're just going with the flow. You're deciding what to do every day based on your uh, your your moods and inclinations and uh, cravings and appetites, and all is good. Of course, we're going to talk about the complementary lifestyle habits that help you get good at fasting and fat burning. Those are extremely important and can totally sabotage your success if you're not getting enough sleep, for example, or engaged in a pattern of overly stressful workouts. Uh, all that kind of stuff will come up in a later chapter. So holding your hand through this wonderful challenge and life transformation, pay attention to true cravings and honor your natural appetite. Don't eat for emotional comfort or out of boredom. Hey, if your body's calling for carbohydrates, reach for healthy choices like fresh seasonal berries, quinoa, wild rice, sweet potatoes, squash, zucchini. Don't worry about departing from your plan for a day here or there. If you have a celebration or something that throws you off, trust that your body composition will continue to improve over time. Your fat burning will continue to improve over time, and you can get right back on the horsey after a weekend of indulgences by engaging in a strategic fasting and putting yourself uh, back into that state of heightened metabolic flexibility. Another cool thing about two meals a day is it transcends the diet wars and the controversy and the nitpicking because it puts the focus on fasting instead of nitpicking individual food choices and preferences. So even if you're a plant-based person, and we have some commentary in there for people that insist on uh, uh, eliminating uh, the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, most of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, it's going to be a real challenge. Um, you might get lucky with your genetics and uh, be able to report thriving on a plant-based diet, but it's basically a very high-risk dietary strategy because you are eliminating most of the foods that have driven human evolution for two and a half million years. But again, working within your preferences, trying to talk you into uh, more inclusiveness if you are uh, restricting those animal foods, uh, but whether you're primal paleo, keto, or even carnivore, everybody can succeed with a two meals a day approach. And when it comes to snacking, uh, we're not going to pay attention to that right out of the gate because we want to get you off those big three toxic modern foods. And so if you require a snack to sustain energy because you're used to eating a power bar and a soda in the afternoon, and now you're going to have a handful of macadamia nuts or a hard-boiled egg, that's great. But over time, we want to get into this default pattern of having a maximum of two nutritious, satisfying, indulgent meals every day and eliminating snacking in between the meals. 
And I said maximum because when you get really good at fasting and metabolic flexibility, you may find certain days, especially when traveling or not being very active, that you don't even need two meals a day. You need one and a half or something like that. And in fact, we talked about uh, long ago uh, naming this book the 1.5 diet, a meal and a half a day, <laughs> sort of a, a little play on uh, cutting in half the usual uh, three meals a day uh, cultural mainstay. Uh, but anyway, two meals a day is a great goal to shoot for, but you certainly can get by with less than that uh, on those days where you just don't feel like eating. And that's what's really cool about being metabolically flexible. Uh, so there's numerous strategies that you might have heard of. The 16-8 is a popular one. Um, there's the morning-evening pattern that we discussed where, you know, maybe you have a busy job. You're not able to sit down and relax and have a peaceful midday meal. So you might want to eat something in the morning and then go about your busy day and come down and enjoy uh, a delicious evening meal. It's all personal preference. It doesn't have to be the exact same thing every day. And just from a personal standpoint here, um, it's been a little bit frustrating over time to see how much rigidity and, uh, and stress uh, has come into the scene of healthy eating with people thinking that you have to act like a robot every single day and track every single variable. And I've been so deep into this for so long and been compelled to test and, and measure all these things in the name of writing books. Uh, but in real life, and I'm speaking for Sisson too, oh my goodness, you know, um, he reached for a jar of my Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece and uh, killed that thing in one sitting because it was really good and he felt like it that day and the next day he hardly ate any food at all he was out there till uh, 1 or 2 p.m. even with a hard workout in the morning and not really worried about eating so uh, to pinhole pigeonhole uh, into a distinct daily routine in the name of health I think it's time to uh, throw that in the garbage can and just honor these big picture principles and so boy I usually don't eat much of a breakfast if any I might have a big main meal around midday but other times if someone's making me a delicious omelet in the morning and then we're heading out for a, a busy day uh, hiking or driving around or whatever sure I'm gonna eat a big morning meal so there's no there's no um, uh, obligation to be rigid or stress out about any of these things. Okay, so that's chapter three about fasting. And then we go into chapter four, implementing a winning mindset and behavior patterns. And this chapter is going to help you understand the what, why, and how of eating and living healthfully and behaving in alignment with your goals and making empowering and conscious choices. So the first step is to acquire that self-knowledge. Look at areas where you struggle. Look at these uh, statements that you make, these self-limiting statements or beliefs or behavior patterns, things that have come around again and again. Every time I sign up for the gym in January, I usually quit by April, you know, that kind of thing, and unwind this and analyze it a little bit and see uh, what's going on and what's uh, in your way of uh, reaching your dreams and living a uh, happy, healthy, successful life. Okay, a pretty common one, for example, is people beating themselves up over their imperfections of the past and carrying this forward where you don't feel deserving because you're no darn good anyway, you failed at so many diets, that kind of thing, right? So if we can come from a, a starting point of gratitude and self-acceptance 
and give ourselves a chance wherever we are right now. It's okay. Wherever your starting point is, even if you don't love your body and it's not at your ideal body composition and the image in the mirror is not uh, to your ideal, that's okay because we can make forward progress every single day. But we have to get rid of these negative self-judgments and things that keep us stuck. Uh, regaining your health doesn't require pain and suffering, but it requires making choices aligned with your stated goals. And I think that's one where a lot of us get tripped up. I speak about that from my athletic reference points way back when, when my stated goal was to be the number one guy in the world and win all the races. And then when you look at my daily choices and commitments, uh, I'd have to admit that I really wasn't committed to that uh, at the same level as, let's say, the guy who was living that lifestyle with the tremendous sacrifice and the focus required. I kind of wanted to do things my way, enjoy myself along the way. Maybe that was a healthier and more balanced approach than you see occasionally from people at the very top of their professions where their uh, you know, competitive intensity is so extreme that it uh, negates the possibility for living a normal life. Uh, but we, we want to be uh, honest and admit to ourselves where we stand with everything. How bad does you want it, man? How bad do you want to watch that Netflix series instead of go to bed when you're tired and deserving of sleep? And if you can give those honest answers and say, why, Brad, I am absolutely devoted to finishing my Netflix queue at a very high rate of speed and I don't care as much about sleeping. Okay, then we know what we're operating from and you can go enjoy yourself with a smile on your face. And when you wake up the next morning, feeling like crap, you know who to blame right there in the mirror, right? And it's okay, just as long as you're congruent with your choices. Uh, but cultivating that passion and compassion and gratitude is a big deal. And this is where we really emphasize the benefits and the importance of keeping a written journal rather than having all these thoughts and ideas floating around in our head all day, uh, especially when, let's say, you're listening to an audiobook or reading a book and feeling so uh, motivated and inspired and empowered. And then the next day comes, uh, the book gets put down, you kind of forget some of the details, and you go about your busy life, and you kind of drift away from uh, those great intentions and that great motivation and enthusiasm. So uh, journaling is a big part of this book. We try to make it as interactive as possible. So you're not just reading words page after page, but you're asked to uh, engage in assignments along the way. And especially when we get to uh, the finish line and the amazing 12-day turbocharge that really puts everything Thing together and get you on this focused journey to set yourself up for long-term success. Uh, one of the concepts presented, which you'll love, is called fake it till you make it. If you're having a rough day, you're feeling down, smile, perform a random act of kindness on a stranger, say thank you, walk with your chest uh, held high and your chin held high, and this will actually uh, trigger a change in your hormonal function to align you with uh, happiness and positive energy rather than what's going on. So faking it till you make it is the real deal. Um, we talk about controlling your thoughts and your physiology uh, through uh, mindful mindfulness practices like meditation, breathing exercises, gratitude journaling, uh, becoming a master over your emotions, and uh, living in a manner that promotes health and longevity and 
disconnecting from those uh, those subconscious behavior patterns that are driven by your subconscious, where you're just mindlessly uh, uh, throwing down food in front of the TV and not even thinking about how much of the potato chip bag you're finishing or how quickly you're uh, inhaling that popcorn bowl. So bringing things into mindfulness, uh, having that uh, appreciation, that gratitude for healthy meals that you prepare yourself or that you're uh, fully engaged in and aware of rather than distracting yourself by eating a meal in front of the TV, stuff like that. And we talk about formulating a plan of action in this chapter. So if it's whatever it is, eating the, uh, eliminating the, uh, the big three toxic modern foods, we're going to have you write down the exact strategies and steps you're going to take. What store are you going to shop at to replenish your environment with healthy foods? Uh, what are some of the, uh, the keys and the triggers? Uh, could it be putting sticky notes up on the refrigerator or on the mirror, reminding yourself of your goals and your commitments and understanding that any change in habits, especially those deeply ingrained habits that come in the realm of diet and exercise habits, uh, require repetition and endurance to succeed. So you make that commitment, you place great importance on it, and overall that's the um, that's the content of this chapter that I think you're really going to enjoy, and it's going to set you up for uh, major lifestyle transformation that we're going to cover in Chapter 5, Follow a Fat-Burning Lifestyle. And this is where we get into just how important the complementary lifestyle practices are uh, for your goals in transforming your diet and being a fat-burning beast, right? Starting, of course, with sleep. And I'm sure you've been exposed to the research. Uh, we have a lot of head nodding and validating that sleep is so important. Oh, yes, we all know this. And then, in, practically speaking, we're not always carrying out uh, our sleep ambitions uh, with with um, good success uh, because of all the potential for distraction and diversion and digital entertainment deep into the night. And boy, we all deserve a chance to relax and unwind from the pressures and the core responsibilities of our busy day. Uh, but we want to emphasize uh, how important sleep is and put into practice some hard and fast rules and routines and regimens that'll get you sleeping like a champ, uh, referencing uh, Ariane Huffington's great work in this area, uh, The Sleep Revolution and Thrive, her two books where she talks about having these evening rituals where you, quote, gently escort your digital devices out of your bedroom and engage in these uh, deliberate behavior uh, sequences that actually wire the brain to associate with sleep. So it could be, her example is uh, taking a warm bath by candlelight and um, then getting out and changing into your pajamas and then getting into bed and grabbing a uh, leisure reading book and, and reading by the dim light of a, a headlamp or something. And so if you put these sequences together, it might include foam rolling, might include leashing up the dog for a final 15-minute walk, but you start to associate these behaviors with sleep so that your, your brain is actually capable of winding down nicely and being able to facilitate a good night's sleep because you are locked into these uh, habit-forming behavior patterns. 
And obviously the biggest thing in the way is the excess amount of artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. So we talk about creating an optimal sleeping environment. We talk about engaging in evenings that are mellow and dark and quiet and relaxing. If you insist on uh, consuming digital entertainment, try to prioritize that stuff to earlier in the evening. And passive entertainment is more relaxing than uh, the, the, the proactive stuff such as uh, crushing your email inbox uh, in the late hours of the evening. So it's a little easier to sit back and watch a show and probably more aligned with healthy, balanced lifestyle. But again, if those final hour or two hours before bed can be filled with these calming, mellow activities uh, such as perhaps a hobby, uh, drawing, uh, shaping clay, uh, clay sculptures, um, taking the dog for a walk, talking, visiting, regaining the lost art of socializing, uh, that kind of stuff, playing cards, uh, taking that bath, going into the uh, the, the spa, jacuzzi, uh, great stuff like that, vastly superior to planting your eyeballs in front of a screen, which you likely did for many, many hours earlier in the day. And so that's all about sleep. Um, we're also talking about how important it is in the morning to get up and celebrate the sunrise uh, by exposing your eyeballs to direct sunlight. I'm not talking about staring right at the fiery orb, but getting direct exposure uh, to hit that super chiasmatic nucleus and tell the hypothalamus that it's morning time and trigger these hormonal processes that help you feel uh, awakened and energized. So when sunlight hits your retinas in the morning, uh, the melatonin uh, is suppressed the calming neurotransmitter adenosine is suppressed and instead you get a wonderful natural spike of cortisol and serotonin so you get this mood elevating physically energizing effect by uh, getting your face into uh, the sun first thing in the morning i'm not talking it doesn't have to be a a, a beautiful day at the beach uh, but just being outdoors into light even if it's a cloudy day uh, you're going to get these hormonal processes triggering and the important thing about getting up near sunrise and exposing your your eyes to light and engaging in a uh, physical routine where you're getting movement blood circulation, oxygen circulation, is that this is the first uh, trigger to a wonderful evening wind down where the melatonin increases and the mood elevating hormones and neurotransmitters fall. So it starts first thing in the morning and then that's uh, keeping in alignment with your circadian rhythm, which we've totally uh, ignored and disrespected in modern times by artificially illuminating our lives uh, year round. And before we move on from the topic of sleep, we expand the dialogue to embrace this bigger concept of the essential need for rest, recovery, and downtime in hectic high-stress modern life. Realize that in recent decades, the first time in the history of humanity that we've had the potential to be constantly engaged and entertained and distracted by a mobile device in our hands that uh, allows for unending novel stimulation. So previously, we had things like front porches and rocking chairs where we sat there and stared off into the neighborhood, maybe had a casual chat with someone and just allowed our brain some downtime rather than being constantly engaged with a device for hours and hours, even when it's time to wind down from uh, a heavy, heavy duty uh, peak cognitive function day uh, during the work hours. 
So this section will talk about the importance of disciplining your use of technology. Your health and well-being depend on developing the extreme discipline necessary to power down at the appropriate times, implementing distinct transitions and boundaries so that personal, social, and family time are free from digital interference. It entails you going out and appreciating nature. The wonderful health benefits of fresh air and sunlight has an immediate and profound calming effect on your mind and body. We talk about about napping and how wonderful that is to help you catch up from any sleep deficiencies that you experience. We move right into the huge health category of increasing all forms of general everyday movement and a lot of commentary and suggestions in this area. A lot of the experts in uh, exercise physiology, fitness, health are identifying that the obligation to just simply move more in everyday life is more important than adhering to a devoted workout regimen and getting into the gym and sweating and throwing around the heavy weights, you first might want to focus on just getting out there and walking more as your centerpiece of being a more active human. But of course, there are many other forms of movement that you can engage in. I talk a lot on my show and on YouTube about my morning exercise, flexibility, mobility routine. It's a great way to start my day and it helps me uh, work toward my movement quota very nicely. Uh, people are increasingly uh, enjoying uh, the formal programs like yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi. Uh, foam rolling counts as a form of movement. Um, and of course, all the cardio stuff. But the key thing with cardio is to make sure you're exercising at the proper heart rate. A lot of people go too hard. And instead of getting a healthy, fat-burning movement experience, they're drifting that heart rate above the aerobic maximum limit. And we have charts and graphs and discussions about this. And when you do that, you start to invite glucose burning and carbohydrate dependency rather than working towards your goals of becoming a fat-burning beast and uh, moderating, balancing the stress in life rather than adding another form of stress in the form of a workout that's slightly too stressful instead of uh, nourishing and energizing. Uh, so that's the movement objective. But then, of course, we have the critical objective that's often overlooked to challenge the body and put the body under resistance load and perform explosive bursts of energy uh, occasionally. We don't have to do this every single day with long, grueling workouts that are uh, commonly overdone, such as in the CrossFit scene or people who are a, a gym rat to their detriment. But once in a while, these very short duration efforts where you can... Uh, put your body under resistance load with straps or body weight or proper weights, whatever uh, feels best to you. I'm a big fan of this variable resistance training concept with the X3 bar where it's easy on the joints, uh, easy on the muscles, not as much soreness risk that you get from lifting heavy weights. Uh, so you can check that out if you're interested or stretch cords, just pulling the, the tubing and creating the resistance that way. Of course, we have the primal essential movements uh, of body weight, full body functional exercise exercises like push-ups, pull-ups, squats, and planks, uh, and this new concept of micro-workouts that I believe are the fitness breakthrough of the century. I have an entire show on that. I talk about it a lot, so maybe go listen to that. It's where you just take a 
short break of a minute or two from your busy workday, uh, not asking too much to perform some form of brief explosive effort. And it can be as simple as standing in your cubicle and dropping for a set of 20 deep squats and then going right back to your screen or your phone calls or whatever's going on. Uh, we also talk about the amazing benefits of sprinting, especially when it comes to body composition. And it's something that anybody can do or progress toward uh, the ultimate form of sprinting, of course, which is high impact. Uh, running sprints on the ground, but if you have injury concerns or you're a novice, you can work toward that doing uh, low or no impact sprints on the bicycle and getting all those wonderful hormonal and anti-aging benefits and then uh, putting a plug in for emphasizing recovery in your fitness endeavors and all the great science and uh, training leaders in this area talking about a kinder, gentler approach to fitness because the widespread uh, phenomenon of people overdoing it, even novices and even uh, expert level people that just push their body too hard, thinking it's all about no pain, no gain. We've been socialized that way for decades. Uh, the fitness industry is all about who can push themselves the hardest and sweat the most and uh, be pictured on the advertisement slumped over their bike because they had such an awesome workout. But in reality, the body likes to <laughs> progress gradually and steadily. You don't have to punish yourself at these workouts to become really fit. You just allow yourself to build, build, build over time without the interruption of breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury that occurs from an overly stressful approach. And that is chapter five about lifestyle and we go into chapter six putting two meals a day into play so this chapter describes the various strategies of starting with the breakfast when strategy uh, doing a morning evening pattern or perhaps best of all following an intuitive strategy in this approach your eating decisions are driven mainly by your hunger and satiety signals as well as by your mood environment and daily variations in sleep work exercise and socializing habits the cool thing about the intuitive strategy is that it frees you from those often hidden stresses and hassles of adhering to a meal schedule it allows you to go with the flow every day once you're locked in once you have good metabolic flexibility that's one of the benefits is that you can take it or leave it you can skip breakfast if you want or you can sit down for a wonderful omelet if uh, you're having a, a family gathering and someone's preparing you good food you don't have to you don't have to choose out in the name of your fixed and rigid dietary protocol uh, the other important thing that's emphasized in this chapter is to make a gradual progression toward these highest states of metabolic flexibility where you're doing things like extended fasts and so forth. And so we kind of take you in a stair step where your first objective, uh, first and foremost, is to uh, mind that 12-hour digestive window. So getting all your calories consumed in a maximum window of 12 hours. And then, of course, we're going to be uh, considering working down into, uh, for example, a 16-8 strategy where you're in an 8-hour eating window instead of a 12-hour. Um, and then finally, uh, with checkpoints along the way, noticing that you feel uh, 
energetic, good cognitive function, good mood, good energy levels when skipping meals and making sure that everything's uh, going along smoothly uh, as you try to progress with more ambitious efforts uh, toward fasting uh, or mixing uh, fasting and exercise. So that's uh, chapter six, putting two meals a day into play. And then we have a cool chapter seven called Advanced Strategies for Fat Reduction. Uh, so if you have been exposed to uh, material before in the realm of low-carb eating, primal paleo living, uh, the keto diet strategy, and you have a good baseline level of knowledge, this one might be particularly exciting because there's so many people out there that are doing a lot of things right, have a good uh, devotion to exercise, uh, have gotten rid of the uh, the nasty modern processed foods and emphasizing the healthy, wholesome foods, uh, but the desire to drop additional excess body fat has still been a big uh, level source of frustration and challenge. So here we're going to get into it uh, a little deeper and recommend strategies that are definitely uh, in the advanced category, nothing to worry about until you have built some good momentum and you just want to optimize further so we detail a progression of fasted workouts uh, with these variables where the progression starts with an overnight fast followed by a moderate workout in the morning. Uh, then you go to an overnight fast followed by a moderate workout and followed by a bit of fasting after the workout until when occurs, until you start to get hungry. It might be 30 minutes, might be an hour, uh, wherever you stand. Uh, then the progression is an overnight fast followed by a difficult workout. Next from there is overnight fast, difficult workout, and then a fasting period after the difficult workout. And then finally, overnight fast, difficult workout, and an extended fast afterward. Uh, guys like Dr. Art Devaney likes to do a, a high-intensity workout and then fast for four hours. He claims that autophagy peaks four hours after an intense workout. My main man at Ancestral Supplements, Brian Livaking, Johnson does an incredible strategy with uh, what he calls a failed hunt. So a failed hunt followed by a five-day water fast is something that he and his wife Barbara engage in every quarter. The failed hunt is a really grueling, challenging workout that uh, depletes glycogen. So something that's long duration, uh, getting up there in intensity. And one of those workouts, you know the type when you feel like coming home and hitting that fridge and slamming whatever's in your way. So what a way to enter a five-day fast rather than a magnificent Thanksgiving feast and then saying, that's it, I'm going to go fast for five days. How about that? A failed hunt followed by a five-day water fast. And what he's uh, his ambition there is to just accelerate the uh, the benefits that come from the hormetic stressor of fasting and starting that fast with uh, a glycogen-depleted state. You're going to start making ketones like crazy. You're going to engage in cell repair, autophagy, apoptosis, cleaning house like crazy as soon as the, uh, the fast begins. Okay, so that's your kind of a progression of playing around with fasted workouts in a manner that uh, increases in degree of difficulty after you've built some competency. And then another category is trying out those extended fasts. Uh, so if you're in a good 16 and 8 pattern and you want to go for a 20-hour fast at one point or maybe even a 24-hour 20 hour fast at one point, we have these challenges plugged into the 12-day turbocharge at the end of the book. Uh, so that's kind of fun. And it 
if, you know, if you're looking for advanced strategies and you want to make a breakthrough, it doesn't hurt once in a while to endure a little bit of hunger here and there. Kind of the opposite of what we said when we're heading out the gate trying to get good at fasting, metabolic flexibility. If you do get hungry and cranky and lose your energy, yeah, it's a good time to go reach for some food. But once you're in that groove and you know that you can burn fat well, uh, one thing that I experience is in association with cold exposure, uh, which we're going to uh, talk about as one of the uh, advanced challenges, but boy, jumping in that cold freezer sometime in the next, ooh, uh, 30 minutes to two hours, I experience an intense sensation of hunger because my uh, caloric expenditure is upregulated as I try to rewarm my body. Uh, so those kind of things, they have their place. Here's when to do it. So trying for an extended fast once in a while. And there's no big benchmarks that we want to communicate here, like you're, you get a super badass badge if you made it 24 hours, but seven is the, the real deal, and that's when all the uh, organ function and cell repair benefits occur. There's uh, some science to suggest uh, certain checkpoints, different things happen, but uh, I'm not convinced that there's anything magical here. And furthermore, if you look at uh, long-term, big picture, uh, going in a 16-8 pattern every single day is going to produce huge benefits, even if you never feel like fasting for 24 hours. Uh, and I'll say, uh, personally speaking, uh, because of my commitment, commitment to uh, exercise and doing frequent high-intensity workouts, uh, these are a sort of a similar stressor to the body as fasting. So I'm not feeling uh, as much obligation to engage in frequent 24-hour fasts when I do frequent sprint workouts, all right? Those are kind of, um, what are they called? Um, redundant pathways, the term coined by Dr. Casey Means. So you're uh, you're, you're starving your cells of energy when you fast and you're starving your cells of energy when you sprint or do a grueling workout by depleting your glycogen stores and then you're prompting mitochondrial biogenesis, the wonderful health attribute of making uh, more and also more efficient mitochondria. So you have more protection from oxidative stress, better energy production. You're a clean, burning, fat-burning machine when you do things like extended fasting, sprinting, Get it? Okay. So, you know, don't overdo it. Don't go overboard, uh, but mix the mix and match these things when you're trying to drop uh, a few extra pounds of excess body fat. Uh, the magic of sprinting comes from the adaptive responses to the training stimulus and the so-called afterburn effect. Afterburn refers to the fact that your metabolic rate is elevated for as long as 72 hours after even a brief sprint workout. The reason that this adaptive response is so awesome with sprinting is because it prompts powerful genetic signaling and hormonal cascades that help change your body so you can perform better the next time out. This includes oxygen delivery to muscles, many other benefits, uh, accelerated fat burning at rest, obviously not during the sprint workout. Uh, Well-executed explosive workouts stimulate this spike in the anti-aging hormones, and we're talking about something that's so short in duration and easy to do for anybody. If you need to do low impact, that's fine, but we're talking about sprinting in the uh, ideal target window of 10 to 20 seconds. The next section of the book... This could be a whole book, and indeed it will be pretty soon, as I'm working on one about cold exposure, therapeutic cold exposure. Anecdotal evidence and cutting-edge science are revealing the incredible potential of therapeutic cold exposure to stimulate fat reduction independently, independently from your diet and exercise efforts, right? So it's like a different uh, pathway, a different channel of prompting uh, an increase in uh, fat burning, 
And speaking of primal, oh my goodness, this is a, a wonderful way to counterbalance another amazing, tremendous genetic disconnect from our ancestral past. And that is that today, virtually 24-7, we exist in comfortable, temperature-stable environments, and we've experienced a variety of atrophy accordingly. So the strong, resilient Homo sapiens that endured long, brutal winters and steaming hot summers out in the hot sun trying to find food, oh my gosh, that's all gone now. And so we become uh, soft and, and wimpy accordingly. So when you uh, engage in therapeutic cold exposure, there's so many interesting psychological benefits there that you can develop that discipline and focus. I feel like those are the biggest benefits for me, especially that uh, if I can go do this and overcome the constant, or I mean the uh, repeated, you know, aversion when it's about time to go jump in the freezing cold lake in the winter or jump in my chest freezer uh, during summertime, cold exposure, whew, you know, it makes you more disciplined and resilient against all other forces of stress, sources of stress that you face in daily life. The cold exposure also delivers profound anti-inflammatory immune boosting effects, including an increased production of the super antioxidant glutathione and the cold shock proteins that facilitate an assortment of repair processes in the brain and the muscle tissue. But we're talking about loosened excess body fat. And the cool thing here is that when you expose yourself to cold and then rewarm the body, when you try to return to homeostasis, you turbocharge fat burning. You may have heard of this uh, brown fat, they call it. Uh, brown, uh, brown fat is uh, activated because it keeps you warm. So when you jump in the cold tub, cold shower, uh, you activate the uh, metabolic function of brown fat, and that in turn uh, causes increased calorie burning in general. Now, here's the thing about cold exposure. And you might have seen people uh, kind of uh, taking intuitive leaps saying, yeah, expose yourself to cold and then you'll uh, burn, uh, you'll activate brown fat and you'll lose weight. Uh, the thing is that there's a counter regulatory effect uh, of <laughs> in the name of an increased appetite. So you're going to get a hunger spike if you uh, engage in this therapeutic cold exposure. You may have heard of biohacker Ray Cronice, former NASA scientist who's been doing a lot of cold exposure studies. Uh, he was famous for his so-called shiver walks where he'd walk around in the winter uh, in the south in freezing, near freezing temperatures, just wearing a t-shirt or sleeping with extremely minimal bed covering. And he lost, I believe it was 25 pounds of body fat in six weeks uh, through this cold thermogenesis experiment. So that's great. But when you... Uh, lower the body temperature, you're going to get a spike in appetite because of the increased calorie burning. So the trick here uh, to lose excess body fat is to kind of work through that hunger spike and continue to fast for a few hours after your cold exposure session. Keep in mind that that uh, ghrelin spike, that's the prominent appetite-stimulating hormone of ghrelin, which actually gets your stomach growling. Dr. Kate Shanahan, nice mnemonic to remember the term of the hunger hormone. Uh, that spike will subside in about 15 or 20 minutes when your body realizes that you're not going to feed it, and then you'll kick into super massive, awesome fat burning. And boy, uh, so many people sharing that they getting that last few pounds of body fat off uh, just by engaging in daily cold showers or maybe even getting more serious with uh, jumping into cold water and so forth. So that's a fun section of the book to acquaint you, maybe interest you in a little bit. And then we get into the wild times of the 12-day turbocharge. And it's a standalone program at the end of the book that picks and pulls from all the chapters and it will allow you to 
dial in this long-term two meals a day lifestyle in a very powerful manner drawing upon all the knowledge and suggestions that you've been hit with throughout the book and making an organized experience where every single day for 12 days you will tackle an assignment in each of these areas food fasting fitness mindset and lifestyle so there's an action item and a corresponding journal exercise. Sometimes it's just a journal exercise, right? With mindset, you're gonna write down your self-limiting beliefs and figure out ways that you can uh, start to overcome those. Uh, but mainly there's a uh, intensive journaling component, and then you're gonna be doing things like the kitchen pantry purge and the other exercises to optimize your environment. Uh, 12 days, pretty intense. You're gonna be devoting, I don't know, one to two hours a day perhaps. Uh, but again, the whole idea here is to expose yourself to a bunch of these uh, positive behaviors. And then as you uh, set forth for the rest of your life, kind of dial in the things that are going to work for you and be doable and sustainable. There's also a really super cool uh, FAQ section in here with really long, thoughtful answers. And these are, uh, I would say, an amalgam of actual questions that we get. So they're kind of nice setups for a really good answer. No dumb questions allowed, right? So uh, one of them might be, how do I know I'm ready for uh, uh, an aggressive fasting challenge? And then here go your answers. Uh, the, the topic of snacking. What if I really like snacking and it's a good break from my workday? Can I, are, will you allow me to have a snack here and there? And so I think you'll enjoy that section, uh, giving you some real life practical uh, experience and uh, answers from you know the, the battles that we're all trying to fight when we're out there in daily life, trying to dial in our two meals a day lifestyle. Thank you so much for listening to this detailed summary of all the chapters. I hope you're super excited about getting a book. Hey, and if you like the audio delivery, why don't you go grab the audio book? I had a great time narrating it. There's always added value and ad-libbing to uh, make the audio book a super rich experience anywhere audiobooks are sold. Oh boy, it's time for two meals a day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Brad Kearns here. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Hey, this is going to be one of my favorite commercials because I get to introduce you to the delicious, nutritious, life-changing Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. This is a mind-blowing nut butter blend that will soon ascend to your number one go-to snack, treat, or accoutrement for anything from dark chocolate, a cucumber celery smear, or mixed in with yogurt, oatmeal, cheesecake, or with a spoon right into your mouth, heading south. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I created in my kitchen through whirlwind experimentation and extreme sampling to my VIP product testing crew across the nation so far with 100% approval. In this beautiful jar, we have macadamia nuts, walnuts, cashews, the rare and precious coconut butter, coconut flakes, cacao nibs, real ancient sea salt, and organic MCT oil. Every single ingredient has been sourced to origin to be the very best we could find from around the world for the absolute highest purity and nutritional value. We 
run this product in small batches with a boutique family business in the Pacific Northwest, and everything is cold-pressed to preserve nutritional value. So if you like eating healthy, it's a dream come true for all those who are keto, primal, paleo, and vegan vegetarian, too. I come in peace, my global healthy living friends. Masterpiece, that is. Try some now, and it will change your life. I promise. If you don't like it, send it back to me. I'll eat it. You can order Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece on Amazon. Simple, simple. Or if you're bold, daring, and adventurous, buy three and get a bottle free at bradventures.com. Buy six and we'll send you eight. Christmas shopping early instead of late at bradventures.com. Check it out. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. Uh.